Maybe it's too much to ask of a country cop to believe in the unknown. After all, I wouldn't want them to try to think or anything. This is the Dark Inheritance Podcast, a serial about family, hate, and magic. Last time on Dark Inheritance. The sneer from earlier ghosted across his lips, and no one ever expected you to come back. His gaze flickered to her hands. She flinched. I didn't have a choice, did I? Didn't you? He asked archly. No one forced you to come back. You could have stayed wherever it was you were. The words were bitter and sharp. He blamed her. She flushed. Someone had to take care of the estate, she said. She didn't tell him that it was her one opportunity to finally get some answers. She glanced at him. I didn't know... She shrugged, letting the sentence remain unfinished. She hadn't known he existed. When she got the call from the sheriff's office telling her that her family was dead, they hadn't mentioned him. As far as Kate had known, the line ended with her, to sound or not. He looked away from her, but she could still see the lines of pain etched into his face. Then, before she could register the change, the pain morphed into anger and he swung his hard gaze back to her. Didn't know what, he asked, his voice cutting, that there was someone else who might claim the prize? Anger flooded through her, a rational, self-righteous anger. This house wasn't a prize. He couldn't understand how it felt to live under the threat of her grandmother. Chapter 4, Tad Her name was Simone Calhoun. I was out in my garden, clipping mint before the full night set in, she said, taking a sip from her glass. The garden faces Anne's house, and I noticed a lot of cars in the drive. Figured it was their family dinner. Ted nodded. The report had documented Mrs. Clark's account of the family's monthly tradition. Anyways, Simone continued, there was this big dark cloud over their house, but I didn't think anything of it until I heard this sound, like, like a bobcat, only it was real low. When I looked up, the cloud over their house had turned black and was circling around the roof. I ran back inside and tried to call them, but I only got a busy signal and by then it was too late. So you saw the tornado touch down? He asked, making a mental note to check the weather reports from that night. She sipped her tea and shook her head. That was no tornado, she said. That was a demon if I've ever seen one. Tad stopped riding and looked up at her. A demon, he deadpanned. She nodded. That's what I said. Even new on the job in a small rural town, Tad had already seen his share of crazy shit. He tried not to judge the people he met on the things they said, but it was hard not to scoff at her. How do you know it was a demon? He asked trying like hell to keep his tone mild. He must have failed because she glared at him. It had eyes, she said sharply. Big fucking eyes I could see from my kitchen window. She pointed to the big pane window that was set against the western wall. He looked over his shoulder at it, considering the distance from that window to where the Dane house had stood. It was close to a quarter of a mile away at least. What did you do then? She shook her head and wouldn't meet his eyes. 
He thought he saw a flash of regret cross her profile. There wasn't anything more I could do. I got my ass into my basement and waited until it was over. Then I called 911. Silence fell over them. He considered her words and what she probably wasn't saying. He didn't envy her just then. Fear was something everyone battled. He cleared his throat and shifted subject. So, tell me about the demon. She shook herself free from her thoughts and stood to her feet. Want a refill? she asked, taking care not to look at him. He looked back at the coffee table where his glass sat untouched. No, thank you. She nodded and walked back to the kitchen island where she opened the fridge and pulled herself another glass. Then she stood there, with her hands on the counter, her shoulders hunched into herself. He couldn't see her face. Her mass of curls obscured her features. Miss Calhoun, are you all right? He asked, alarmed. He half rose to his feet, unsure of the turn of disposition she'd just taken. It looked like a massive snake, she said, still hidden by her hair and ignoring his question. Realizing she was lost in memory, he sat back down, feeling a little foolish. It was huge, she continued, as thick as my truck. I'd never seen anything like it before. Her shoulders shook and she sniffed. It dawned on him that she was crying. He shifted uncomfortably on the sofa, unsure of what to do. She saved him by pulling herself together and straightening. She flipped her hair back with one hand and wiped at her face with the other. God, you think you know how you'll react in situations like that, but then they happen and all you can do is not pee your goddamn pants. Trauma presents in a lot of different ways, he offered. Everyone handles it differently. She looked at Tad then, spearing him with a clear gaze. He could see the words she wanted to say in her eyes. You're too young. How would you understand? Instead, she looked away from him and came back to her chair. You don't believe me, she said, sitting down. It wasn't a question. It was closer to an accusation. He was absolutely certain that the giant snake demon was a figment of her imagination, but she believed it was real. He wasn't a psychologist, though, and for all he knew, saying that out loud might make things worse. When I was a kid, my dad hit a dog with his car on our way home from a town council meeting, he said slowly, feeling the words as he spoke them. There was nothing he could have done. It was dark, and the dog came out of nowhere. As an adult, I know it was just a dog. But when I was a kid, I was convinced it was a werewolf. I had nightmares for months. Hell, I still have a phobia about big dogs. What are you trying to say? She asked, taking a long drink. From the way she knocked it back, he wondered if she'd spiked it with something when he wasn't looking. He shrugged. Just that when we're scared, things look different. She set her glass down on the coffee table with a loud click of glass hitting glass and stood up, disappearing through a doorway. Tad's stomach dropped like lead. He'd said the wrong thing. He sighed and began to gather his things. Simone reappeared, holding a thick book. She dropped it on the coffee table in front of him, rattling the glasses. He looked up at her. He didn't know how she expected him to react. What am I looking at? She ignored him. Instead, she flipped the book to a section near the back and pointed at an illustration. This, she said vehemently, stabbing the picture with her finger. This is what it looked like. Tad leaned closer and read the inscription. Bashmu, the vicious torn viper. The snake in the picture reared before ant-sized men with tiny sharp spears. Its eyes were narrowed with hate and twin curving horns. 
as sleek as swords arced away from its head. Despite himself, Tad felt a shiver of fear thread its way down his spine. So here we are at the end of episode four, and we finally have our first mention of something supernatural. Did I mention this was going to be a slow build story? Anyways, so we have Tad, and he's just thrown this image of a giant serpent with horns. He's never seen anything like it before. And Simone insists that it's a demon. Now, Tad doesn't know what to think. He... He thinks Simone is crazy. I mean, that that's for sure. I mean, he's never been presented with anything supernatural before. So his first instinct is going to say that there's something wrong with the person who's giving me this information. Because he's a, he's a cop and he's never experienced magic before. So that's an obvious conclusion for him to make. He's seen crazy people in his line of work. And even though Simone doesn't necessarily fit into that, just like that nice little tidy hole that he could make, he still has no other choice to believe that then she's, she's, she's crazy because who believes in demons? Seriously. Now, I might have mentioned before, but Tad is, he's the average man. He's the every man in this story. He's kind of a placeholder for the listeners. He's there to help explain some magical elements that maybe the other characters take for granted because they've lived in this world for so long. He's also the humanizing aspect of this story. He's there to ground it for the other characters and also to ground it for the for the listeners. He's morality kind of impersonified. Um, impersonified. I'm not saying this right. What's the word I'm looking for? Anyways, you know what I'm trying to say. He's there to hold the mirror to the other characters so you can see the differences between someone who has maybe lived with the supernatural slash magic all of their life and someone who hasn't and he might reflect that he might reflect their changes or the ways that are not good maybe the ways that magic has changed them now we're also introduced to our another secondary character simone calhoun uh, as her creator i'm not sure that I like her. I think I liked her more in the beginning when I was writing these or these earlier episodes, but as this story has progressed, um, I'm personally editing um, episodes uh, like 60 or 80 at this point, so I'm, I'm much further into the story than the actual listener is. Um, I don't like her as much as she ages within the story, and I think Simone has a lot of complexity to her that doesn't come off at first. She has backstory, uh, she has a sad parts in her history that will come out later, and she, she doesn't know how to deal with those. She doesn't know how to deal with someone from the outside who doesn't understand her world. Now, Simone has been a witch since birth. Um, she's from a long line of witches, but the power has been decreasing over the generations, as the, as the generations have passed. Now, that's an issue for the overarching story that magic is dying inside this world. Nobody knows why. They, um, witches in other parts of the world have done tests, and the only thing they can conclude is that there's less magic now, in the story present now, than there was centuries ago. And they don't know why, and it's scary to everyone. Like, take Simone for example. Um... The magic mechanics in this story are that magic is 
basically like a gene you pass on to your descendants. So you are more likely to have magic if you had a family member in your genealogy who had magic. And you're less likely to have magic just um, mutate within yourself to give you magic, if that makes sense to anyone. So Simone comes from a long line of witches, and she can feel it in her bones that she is less of a witch than, say, her grandfather was. She, there is she does she 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 can she can measure and she can see that she doesn't have as much magic as her predecessors did. Now, an interesting point is while magic is dying in this world. There has been one family whose magic has not died, and that is the Danes, where Kate and her grandmother Kat come into play. Only Kat is, as far as anyone knows in this region, Kat is the only one who's maintained even a semblance of old magic. She's, she, she was very powerful. Um, I think in a later episode, Simone describes it to Tad as Pat, Kat had more pat magic in her like toenail or something than the rest of the witches in the county combined. Some, something ridiculous like that. Um, something to drive the, ho- the point home to Tad about how powerful Kat had been in her, well, when she was alive. Because at this point, Kat is dead. The story starts and Kat is dead. Um... And that's something for a future discussion. As the episodes go on, we can I can talk more about Cat's magic and how it has influenced the people around her and influenced even Cat's own mind. So thanks for sticking with us through to episode four, and I hope to see you further on in episode five. And once again, if you're interested in supporting the podcast, you can look us up on patreon.com slash darkinheritance. And there you can support the product for as little as a dollar a month. Every little bit counts because hosting fees exist and these sound effects I were had to pay out of pocket, that kind of stuff. I don't mean to thank you if you want to support the podcast. I'm not forcing anyone to do it. Um, I guess I'm just trying to justify why I've monetized part of this podcast. Part of this podcast. Um, above the $1 tier, there is also, f- um, there's two other tiers. And from there, you can also access behind the scenes content. Um, I basically do screencasts of me editing or recording or just doing something in regards to the podcast. There's also going to post in the highest tier, I'll be posting um, early works in progress. Um, This will be text versions of what I'm currently working on. So like say episode 80, this is what's going, this is a rough draft of part of episode 80 because I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but I do want you to see the active work and maybe the rough work in progress. And in the future, I hope to have other things like maybe some merchandise or custom artwork or things like that. So if you're interested in supporting the podcast, thank you. If you're not, don't worry about it. I appreciate you listening regardless. And I look forward to seeing you in episode five. Dark Inheritance was created by DMZ Barth. Theme music was created by Vierinen and Philip Mariani. Special effects were created by Tippa Sound, Zombie Unit, and Red Octopus. 
Special thanks to all the subscribers who make this podcast possible. Thank you.